from St. Matthew. It is chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and can be found on page 1499 in your pew Bible. Matthew records, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down to me and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came, and they attended him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. So the gospel for this first Sunday in Lent always relates to the same event in the life of our Lord, and that is his temptation. And although the temptation came early in his ministry, the ancient church used to use this event to determine the number of days, the number of days in Lent. So just as Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days, we spend 40 days considering our sinful condition and the need uh, for us to have a Savior. Now, just so that you don't get confused by the fact that Lent is more than 40 days long, you need to remember that Sundays don't count. So not only is this gospel reading for this day about temptation, it is also, um, well, it's, 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 in the, it's in the Old Testament reading as well. We have Jesus being tempted for 40 days, but if you remember way back when, Ashley's first reading was the Old Testament testimony, testament about the fall in the garden. And we know that the fall in the garden with Adam and Eve didn't take 40 days, did it? 
It probably only took, it probably didn't even take 40 minutes for Adam and Eve to fall into sin. And only a short conversation from the serpent. Now the inclusion of these two readings in the lectionary on the same day, well, it gives us an invitation to compare the two temptations, the two stories of temptation. The temptation of humanity in Edom and the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Now some people might object to this kind of comparison on the grounds that it's not really fair. I mean, after all, Adam and Eve were only human. Whereas Jesus was human, but he was also God. And some might say that all Jesus had to do was just turn on his divine superpowers. And the devil couldn't touch him. And at first, that might seem like a a logical uh, objection. But today's gospel gives us a hint that Jesus did not use his divine power. We read that Jesus was hungry. God doesn't get hungry. If Jesus had used his divine power for his own advantage, he would not. He would not be hungry. The fact is that Jesus was hungry indicates that he was not using any divine superpower. And from the rest of the Bible, we learn that Jesus never used, not once, his divine power, his divine nature to his own advantage. From the time he began growing until the time that he was buried, from the womb to the tomb, Jesus did not use his divine power, his divine nature for a self-serving purpose. Not once. And we call this state of Jesus that he was in a state of humiliation. You're not humiliated because somebody made fun of him or said something bad. He condescended. He came down. He's God. He came down to heaven in humility, even to humility and death on a cross. Now, Jesus took on human flesh in order to take our place, right? He wouldn't really be taking our place if he used his divine power to get himself out of trouble. Instead, he used his divine power to help others. And after he lived a perfect life in our place, after he paid for our sins with his death on the cross, after he had won salvation for us, then and only then did he begin to totally use the full power of his divinity. In fact, the first temptation was all about his state of humiliation, his state of humility. The devil tempted Jesus to use his divine power to help himself, to charge some, to change some stones into bread. And if Jesus had done that, we would no longer, he would no longer be our substitute. He would no longer be able to save us from sin. And it is interesting that the devil's first temptation of Christ 
was about food. For clear back in Eden, the first temptation of humanity was about food. Forbidden food. And this time, God had set aside one tree. And the fruit on that tree was forbidden. All that Adam and Eve, all that they had to do was to leave it alone. Think about it. They had total authority over the rest of the universe. And God only asked them to avoid the fruit of just one tree. They had no need to be hungry, for food was within easy reach all around them. They could show that they loved God with all their heart and all their soul and all their might, all their strength, without doing anything. They just simply needed to avoid the extra work of eating the fruit of the one tree. And even so, they listened to the serpent and they went through all the extra work of picking and eating the forbidden fruit. So let's compare the two temptations. Adam and Eve fell. Jesus resisted. What was it that allowed Jesus to resist the temptation while Adam and Eve gave up without so much as a, a fight? Well, the answer is, is God's Word. The serpent's real temptation began with, did God actually say? That's how he works. The key battle has nothing to do with forbidden fruit or transforming sta stones or jumping from buildings. The real battle with the devil is always, always, always over God's word. And if the serpent can drive a wedge between us and God's word, the contest is over. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say, you shall not murder? Did God actually say, you shall not commit adultery? Did God actually say, you shall not steal? All these tempting questions and more have their foundation in one basic question. Did God actually say that you shall have no other gods before me? Before we commit any other sin, we must first remove God from his number one position. In fact, the devil doesn't really care if we commit any other sin. We can be first-rate citizens. We can be trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, and thrifty. I don't think I did that the right order. Brave, clean, and reverent by the Boy Scout law. The truth is the devil doesn't care. 
as long as we do not hold God in the number one position. In order to knock God out of the number one position, the devil God's word. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews wrote for us in Hebrews 4, chapter 12. It says, The word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is how Jesus used God's law when he said, It's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. That's Deuteronomy 8.3. Jesus said, It is written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. It is written that you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6.13 again. Jesus did not throw God's word away as Adam and Eve did. Instead, he relied on it to defend him from the devil. And then the devil had to retreat. We can also find our victory in God's word. But that victory is not what we think it is. It's just not. Listen, please. There are some people... There are some people who think that the victory in the Bible is about how we behave, about what we do, that it is all about following God's guidelines for living. And such people indulge in the very thing that the devil did in today's gospel when he twisted the words of Psalm 91. They twist the scriptures to make them all about living the victorious Christian life. Well, so what does Jesus say? Well, as he's debating the scribes and the Pharisees, he said in John 5, 39, you search, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And It is they that bear witness about me. Jesus was talking with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 25 through 27. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus himself taught that all scripture was about him. You've heard me repeat, every jot and tittle in the Bible points to Jesus from the beginning to the end. You see, when the devil cannot get people away from scripture, he gets them to to twist it. He makes them think in terms of what I must do. Things like, have I made a decision for Jesus? Have I accepted Jesus into my heart? Have I given my whole life to Jesus? 
Have I made Jesus not just my Savior, but also my Lord? Have I, have I, have I? In a subtle way, the devil has turned the focus back on me. The unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Have I, 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 done. But instead, the Bible answers different questions. Has Jesus made a decision for you? Has Jesus accepted you into his heart? Has God given his whole life for you? God's word tells us that the answer to all these questions is yes. When the Apostle Paul wrote his greeting to the church in Ephesus, the Holy Spirit inspired him to say this in Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It is these words that teach us that even God the Father had made a decision for us before he even created the world. Now the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle John to write this in John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God left his throne and he lived an obedient life under the law for you and for me. He submitted to torture he submitted to torture for you and for me. He died on that cross for you and for me. He rose from the dead for you and for me. He ascended for you, and even now we have the body given for you and the blood shed for you. The Bible is not about what we do for God. It just isn't. It is about what God does for us. And today's gospel teaches us that Jesus endured the full-on, no-holds-barred assault of the devil. And then the devil retreated after this battle but he never gave up. He was still tempting Jesus, even as Jesus died on the cross. Because those who passed by the cross did the devil's work. As they said this, recorded in Matthew 27, verses 39 and 40. If you are, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And he could have. He could have. He always had his divine power at his disposal, but he resisted the temptation to use it. He remained on the cross until he died, until he paid for the sins of the whole world. Jesus endured all the temptations of the devil 
and he lived a holy life of righteousness. And with his death on the cross, he performed the great exchange. You've heard that, the great exchange. He took away our sin, and he covered us with the righteousness of his perfect life. And now he sends the Holy Spirit to work through God's word as we hear it, as it washes us in baptism, as we eat it, as we drink it in, in the Holy Supper. It is through these means, these means of grace, that the Holy Spirit gives us Jesus and all that Jesus has done for us. In the name of Jesus, amen.